It is our pleasure and our delight uh, to be with you this weekend. We were here a year ago at your missions conference. Then you may remember, just a few weeks ago, we were with you through the miracle of modern technology. We were here via Skype. You know, the camera that we saw when we were part of your service here the other Sunday night was up in the balcony there, and so we could see the backs of all the worshipers. We could see Ralph up here in the pulpit. We could see the choir there, and then there was the big screen up there. There was my wife's face up there, and that was good, and then there was my face up there, and that was kind of scary. But we are delighted. It is our pleasure to be here. It is with a little note of sadness that we are here. Uh, the whole purpose of our visit was to bring our national worker, our Farsi-speaking pastor, uh, Amir Aryan, and his wife, Claire, to visit you. Uh, you are one of three churches here in the States that help support them and help pay for their salary to work with us in London among uh, Afghanis and among Iranians. Uh, just a few days before we were to get on the plane, Claire, who uh, was pregnant, miscarried and uh, be praying for her. It was a very devastating thing for them. The doctor said for her not to make the trip, so you be praying for them, that God will encourage them. I told them they're not off the hook. We will reschedule the trip. We'll make sure that they come here so you can have fellowship with them and meet them uh, for yourself. But it is, it is a wonderful thing to have a national worker. Our work is to plant churches among the immigrant peoples, Muslim peoples in London. And it is wonderful to have a national worker, to have someone who was born in Afghanistan and grew up in Iran to help us as we plant a church among this language group. Well, I think it's kind of interesting. I'm here this Sunday in your church, 4,000 miles away from London. Next Sunday, your team will be with us on Sunday morning in our English language church, and then on Sunday afternoon in our Farsi language church, and guess what? On Sunday afternoon, you know who's going to preach? Ralph Kelly. Now, Ralph hasn't gotten another spiritual gift. It will be through an interpreter. It will be through Amir. Amir will be translating for him, but we're excited about your team coming and seeing some of the people that we minister to and seeing the things uh, that we are involved in. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles, or you can look in your worship bulletin at Philippians chapter 1. The title for this message, Sharing in God's Work Around the World. You know, as a missionary, I think about the relationship that I want with supporting churches and with supporters. I think what I want that to look like. And you know something, I want something more than just a relationship where people just put a check in the mail every month. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm happy when people support us, and that is a wonderful thing. But you know, I want a relationship where our supporters and our supporting churches are really engaged in what we're doing and really feel a part in what we're doing. Does the Bible have anything to say about a missionary and their supporters and that relationship, I believe, I believe that it does. In Philippians chapter 1, let me describe to you a common attitude as I go around and visit churches. 
You know, many Christians, they say, well, I know that missions is, is important. I know that we should pray. I know that we should give. But, you know, it's just not really on my radar. It's just not really part of what I do every day. You know, missions seem so far away. It's remote to what we're doing. You know, it's easy for Christians to feel disconnected from missions and missionaries. Missions is what missionaries do. It's not what I do. It's what God has called them to do. It's not what He's called me to do. It is their work. It's not really my work. I just don't quite feel a part of what they are doing. This morning I want to give you another perspective. This morning when you walk out of this sanctuary, I want you to know and to believe that you can and that you should and that you can be part of what God is doing around the world. That there can be a sense in which you and I do this great work together. You know, what is God's great work? God's great work is to bring a people into His kingdom. And as Presbyterians, we know the purpose for that. We know that the purpose for that is that God would be glorified. But God is glorified not simply by a great number of people coming into His kingdom and being saved and putting their faith in Christ. God is glorified when the nations do that. When people from every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation glorify Him around His throne for all eternity. You know, God is so great. He is so majestic. He is so wonderful that throughout eternity, God has ordained that the nations, some from every nation, every culture, every ethnos, would glorify Him forever. And I believe that God wants every Christian to be dynamically, actively, vitally crucially involved in that great work of missions so that it is not just the work of those on the field. It's not just my work. It's not just Amir's work. But it's a work in which you and I share. It is a work in which you are part of what we're doing regardless of where you are geographically. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Paul is in prison in Rome. He's writing back to a supporting church, back to the Christians in Philippi, hundreds of miles away. And Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. What he's saying here is there is something about this church that brings joy to my heart when I think about them. I want to ask you today, the missionaries that you support, as they think of you, as they think of this church, are their hearts filled with joy? Why was Paul's heart filled with joy as he thought of this church? Continuing on in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Before we look further at this, let's bow again in prayer.
Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of looking in your word today. And Father, we ask you now for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We pray that he would come and illumine our minds, that he would come and use your word to change us and to make us like the Lord Jesus. Come Holy Spirit and be our teacher. Father, we thank you for what you will do and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll tell you about a woman that I know. She's one of our supporters. She's quite elderly. She didn't grow up here in the United States. She grew up in Germany. As a young woman, she lived through World War II. She lived through the terrible experience of the Allied bombings there in Germany. After the war, she married and her husband died. After that, she moved to the United States to live with her daughter, and her daughter's husband died. You know, this woman has not had an easy life. Her life has been full of difficulties and problems. She's one of our supporters. She's on a fixed income, and yet she gives very liberally to our support. But you know something? The most significant thing that this woman does for us is not her gifts. The most significant thing that she does for us is her prayers. You see, what has this life of difficulty produced in this woman? It has made her into a godly woman. It has made her into a woman who knows God. It has made her into a woman who prays. In her great need, in her adversity, in her difficulty, she's become a woman who has learned to pray with intensity and with aggressiveness until God answers prayer. Let me tell you, I like her money. I'm glad that she gives it to us. But if I had to choose between her money or prayers, I'd take her prayers any day. You know, I believe this woman illustrates what Paul is talking about here. I believe this woman illustrates the relationship that Paul had with these Christians in Philippi. In that passage we read, I want you to notice two little words here, I believe, that give us a window on his relationship with these people. In verse 5, it's the word partnership. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, from the day you were converted until now, ten years later, you have been a partner with me in my work. That's that great Greek word, koinonia, could be translated Partnership, participation, fellowship. What Paul is saying in this great work of the gospel, you are part of what I'm doing. And notice again we have the same idea down in verse 7. He says, you share in God's grace with me. He says, regardless of what I'm doing, whether I'm in prison, whether I'm in chains, or whether I'm defending the gospel, you share in what I am doing. You see what is so amazing here? Where is Paul? He is in Rome. Where are these Christians? They're in Macedonia. They're in Philippi. And what does he say? You share in the work. This is a partnership. This is a sharing. This is a participation in Paul's work that transcends geography. Hundreds of miles away. And yet Paul says, you are part of what I'm doing. I want to tell you from a missionary's perspective, There are two kinds of people that you meet in a church. Speak in a church, you go home, you're eating lunch with someone in the church, 
You begin to talk about what you're doing among Muslims in London. Begin to talk about maybe some Muslims who have converted. And yeah, but you know something you pick up, they're not really interested. Their hearts are not really engaged. It's just not that much on their radar. They're occupied with their own little lives and with what is going on. But let me tell you, there's another kind of person. You go to their home after the service. You're eating. And when you begin to talk about the work that God is doing among Muslims in London, when you begin to talk about someone who was enslaved in Islam, who is now a Christian, their hearts are electric. Let me tell you, it melts their butter. They are interested. They hang on every word. Their hearts are engaged with what? you're doing. That's the kind of supporters that Paul had in Philippi. Now, what's the application of this message? Is it simply, just go out and do that. Stop being so self-centered, get out of your own little world, and start thinking about the larger world and what God is doing in the world. Is that the application? You know something, it's not good enough for me to tell you simply what you ought to do or say what you should do, but the question is how do you do it? Or rather, how do you cooperate with God as He makes you from that first kind of person into a second, that second type of person? How do you cooperate with God as He makes you into someone who partners with God's work around the world. First thing I want us to see about being a partner with God's work around the world, the first way that you do that, the obvious way from the context here, from the book of Philippians, is by giving. Paul said these Philippians, these Philippians had given money. They had given gifts to Paul when he was in Thessalonica, when he was in Corinth. He said, you've been giving to me and supporting me in this way from the first day until now. Now it's ten years later and they had just sent a gift to Paul in Rome through Epaphroditus. You know, that's the first way you partner with God's work around the world. When you put money in that offering plate and when that money goes to support me, when that money goes to support Amir, when that money goes to support other missionaries, guess what? You are part of that work. You are participating in that work through your gifts. But you know, there's another way I want to talk about, and it goes hand in hand with giving, and I believe it is just as important, if not more important, and that is you partner with God's work around the world. You partner with what your missionaries are doing by prayer. How is it that you get a sense of participation? How is it that you get your fe- that feeling in your heart, I am part of what they're doing? It is... As you pray. How is your heart engaged for the work of world missions? It is as you pray. But let me tell you something this morning. You will not pray for world missions unless you believe that your prayers make a difference. You will not pray for world missions until you believe that if I pray, God will bless and use that missionary and make them effective. But if I don't pray, He won't. 
You will not pray until you believe that it depends. The work of world evangelism, the work of world missions depends upon your prayer. Now, wait a minute. Does that sound very Presbyterian? Don't we believe that everything depends on God? Don't we believe that God has chosen a people? Don't we believe that God will bring them into His kingdom? Of course we believe those things. And that gives me great confidence as a missionary. But you know something? Two things are true. Number one, everything depends on God. Number two, everything depends on prayer. Everything depends on your prayer. My success depends on not only my prayer, but your prayer for me. Let me tell you something. It's okay as a Presbyterian to believe that. Now we'll spend the rest of the sermon. I just want to go over four texts with you. I want to show you the correlation between prayer and what God does on the mission field. The correlation between prayer and the success of world missions. First thing I want you to see, the first correlation is between prayer and the sending out of missionaries. This is Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 39. Familiar passage, here's what Jesus says. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see the picture that Jesus paints of lost people, people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. He says they are like sheep without a shepherd. What do these people need? He continues on in verse 37, Matthew 9. He said to his disciples, The harvest is so great, but the workers is so few. Jesus changes the metaphor here to a harvest that is to be brought brought in. He said that the lost are a harvest that needs to be brought in, and we need workers. We don't have enough. We don't have enough people to go and bring in the harvest. And then Jesus says what they need to do. You would think Jesus would say, the harvest is great. We don't have enough workers. Obviously, the thing you need to do is go. Jesus says that in other places, but right here. That's not what he says is the first thing you need to do. What is the first thing that Jesus said you need to do in light of the need of the world? Verse 38, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send workers into the fields. Two points here. Only God can send out a laborer. Only God can send out a missionary. He raises them up. He calls them. He thrusts them forth. And number two, He does it in response to prayer. And guess what? When you pray that God will send people forth, and when He sends them forth, and they're on the field doing God's work, you're part of it. You have been part of it. You cooperate with them in their work because you have prayed And God has sent them forth. You see the correlation between prayer and the sending out of missionaries. Second thing I want you to see is the correlation between prayer and the spread of the gospel. This is in 2 Thessalonians 3. Here's what Paul writes, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. What causes the gospel to spread? among a people, among a country, among a nation. It is prayer. Right now, the gospel is spreading among Iranians. 
Contrary to what you see on TV, right now the gospel is spreading among Iranians in Iran and in Europe. Many are coming into the kingdom. Why? Because people pray. Listen to the same verse in the ESV. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it was with you. What gives the gospel legs? It is prayer. You see the correlation between prayer and the spreading of the gospel among a people. When you pray that the gospel will spread, you are a participant in that work. You are a vital part of that work. Third thing I want to show you, the correlation between prayer and boldness in proclaiming the gospel. This is Ephesians 6. This is the great passage on spiritual warfare. You know it well, the passage on spiritual armor. And Paul tells us at the end of the passage how to put on that armor. And he says, put it on by prayer. This is Ephesians 6.18. And he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all saints. And then Paul asks something very interesting here. He asks for prayer for himself. And here's what he says in verse 19, Ephesians 6. He says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. You you know, in London, about every week we do a book table. We go to a busy street a business area, lots of passers-by. We put a table out. We have Bibles in probably 20 languages, primarily Farsi, English, and Arabic. We get to talk to Brits. We get to talk to Muslims. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Very often when I'm out on that street, there to talk to people, I'm scared. Very often, I don't want to be there. Very often, I'm fearful. You know what? I am not naturally bold. You know, there's good news here for me and for people like me. Because what does this passage teach, verse 19? It teaches that boldness and fearlessness is something that God gives. And guess what? He gives it in response to prayer. There's hope for me. There's hope for you. There's hope for every missionary that your church supports. What I want you to do, I want you to give money, but what I really want you to do is pray that God would give this to me and make me fearless and bold. You know, as people are passing by on that street, I have a life and death message. I have a message that is a heaven and hell message. I have what they need. I should be bold. You pray that God will give me that He will give a mirror. You pray that for every missionary that this church supports because God gives it and He gives it in response to prayer. And guess what? When you pray that, you are a participant. You are vitally involved. You are part of that work of spreading the gospel. You're here in Columbia. I'm in London, England, 4,000 miles away, and you're part of that work as you pray that God would make me, that He would make a beer, that he would make other missionaries bold. Fourth thing I want us to see, 
the correlation between prayer and open doors. This is in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Here's what Paul writes. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ. What is a door? A door is an opportunity to speak the gospel. We have an opportunity to speak the gospel to Muslims. We haven't always had that. Muslim countries, for the most part, are what? They're closed to missionaries. People have been praying for Muslims. They've been praying that the gospel would touch them. And God has opened a door. You know what that door is? God is bringing them to Europe. God is bringing them to a place where we can send missionaries. God is bringing them to a place where there's freedom to engage them and to share the gospel with them. That is a door that God has opened. Why has He opened it? Because people have prayed. You know, Amir and I got a call some time ago. There's a high-security prison in London near Heathrow Airport. They call it euphemistically a detention center. The immigration police, when they catch people who are illegally in England, they take them to the detention center. They can spend several months there. Sometimes they end up back on a plane to their home country. At this detention center, there are Farsi speakers, 20 to 25 at any given time. There's a Muslim chaplain, there's a Christian chaplain. The Christian chaplain called us and said, come in, meet the Farsi speakers, share the gospel with them, have ministry to them. Amir and I were just there three weeks ago. That was a door. Why do doors like that open? Because people pray. And when you pray that God will open a door for us, when He opens the door, guess what? You're part of the work. You're vitally connected. Our success depends on you. You know, as a missionary, what is my hope of success? What is my hope that Amir and I will see Afghans and Iranians converted? That we will see a church planted among Muslim background believers? Is it because I'm a bold evangelist? Is it because I'm a good discipler and teacher? Is it because I'm an effective church planner? Is it because I'm a great mission strategist? No. I'll let you in on a little secret. I'm not really very good in any of those. But what is my confidence that God will use me, that He will use Amir, that He will use other missionaries? It is because God answers prayer, and not only my prayers, your prayers as well. Let me tell you, if you don't pray for us, we don't have a hope of doing any of these things. But let me tell you, If you do pray for us, we have boundless hope that God will do these things through us. Very quickly, we've looked at four verses of Scripture. Have you seen the correlation between prayer and what God does on the mission field? He raises up missionaries. He sends them out. He makes them bold in response to prayer. 
He opens doors in response to prayer. He causes the gospel to run and move through a nation, a culture, a language in response to prayer. You know, I want you to realize the vital role that you have with me in the mirror and with every missionary you support. That you are part of the work. You are part of the work by giving, but you are primarily part of the work by prayer. It's something that we do together. It's something that we cannot do without you. When you pray and God answers, you are partners with us. You share in the work. But you know something? Something else goes on. Not only does God affect what goes on on the mission field, but guess what? When you pray for missions, it does something else. You know what it does? It changes you. It changes you from that first type of person, self-centered, occupied with their own little world, to the second type of person. What happens when you pray for missions? You know what happens? God catches you up into His great heart for the nations and his heart to bring them into his kingdom that he might be glorified. Do you want to change? Do you want to become that second type of person? Let me urge you, every day, have the time to get alone with God, to meditate on his word, to pray, to pray for your family, to pray for your church, and to pray for us, and to pray for the nations. And what happens as you do that? God changes you and makes you into a different type of person. Let me ask you as you pray to ask that God would lay specific missionaries on your heart. God may lay us, you may lay me and Waima and Amir and Claire on your heart, but there are other missionaries that you support. Pray that God would lay them on your heart. Pray that he would give you burdens to pray for a people, for nations, for language groups, for Muslims. And as you pray, you share in that work. In God's sight, it is as if you are right there beside us, Working with us, you can work and be effective around the world through your prayers and as you give. Let's bow together in prayer.